Good evening, ladies, gentlemen, and NBs. Welcome to Working Class Advocates. We are an independent socialist news media and mutual aid worker cooperative. I'm your host, Jesse Austin. If you enjoy learning here with us, make sure you smash that like button and then that subscribe button. And don't forget to ring that bell. Fuel crisis in Lebanon, a smoking gun for U.S. imperialism and global capitalism as we know it? Well, it certainly seems that way. According to Reuters, at least 28 people died in a fuel tank explosion in northern Lebanon. Military and security forces say the Lebanese army seized a fuel tank from the black market and the explosion happened as they were handing out gasoline to residents. Many Lebanese people blamed government mismanagement with one man hearkening back to an explosion at a Beirut port around this time last year. This is the second Beirut explosion, he said. What happened was not small. People have been incinerated and some are still missing. Accounts varied as to what caused the explosion. Local Al Jadid TV channel reported from eyewitnesses that it was caused by a person who ignited a lighter. The Red Cross said its teams were still searching the explosion site. U.S. sanctions on Iran's oil exports intended to hurt Hezbollah have exacerbated Lebanon's fuel crisis for the people. And while it's a nice gesture for Iran to remain committed to helping Lebanon through this crisis, petroleum remains a non-renewable resource. And as a non-renewable resource kept relevant only by the influence of the petrodollar under global capitalism, it is doomed to growing scarcity. Hence, fuel prices in Lebanon are expected to double. Instead of pursuing renewable energy, the forces of global capital are arranging an increasingly desperate scramble for a fuel source that makes climate change worse. The resulting feedback loop will make a handful of oil CEOs rich while millions of people suffer, and we're already starting to see it. Wildfires in California, floods in Germany, India, and China, oil spills killing wildlife in the Gulf of Mexico, oil rigs and pipelines outright exploding. It still boggles the mind to look at it. It may look just like a scene from a disaster movie, but this is real. This video captured today when the ocean caught fire in the Gulf of Mexico, just west of the Yucatan Peninsula. Those dramatic images of the ocean aflame quickly going viral on social media. Some people calling it an eye of fire, while others said it looked like the portal to hell opening up. Pemex, the Mexican state-run oil company, says an underground natural gas pipeline sprung a leak that caused that mid-ocean fire. A number of firefighting boats pumped water onto the fire for nearly five hours until it was eventually extinguished. They put out a fire on the ocean. And here we have this article. Is it really that dangerous to smoke at a gas station? Which has a video that shows you gasoline fumes. So this is pretty fascinating. You can see the fumes pouring out from the nozzle there gas cap now yeah that's an ad for their sensitive cameras or whatever but you get the point it's dangerous to smoke at a gas station fossil fuels aren't safe for the people harvesting them the people using them or the people not really using them at all also known as climate refugees even if someone manages to harvest the oil safely, one spark is all it takes to ignite gasoline fumes at the pump, whether it be from a lighter, static electricity, or sudden friction between metal objects. And even if that all goes well, the combustion of these fossil fuels will contribute to the greenhouse gas effect, melting ice caps and rising sea levels, harming somebody somewhere down the line. I don't trust people to not smoke at the pump on a good day. 
add heat stroke and long lines for fuel on top of that, and I think it's pretty obvious we have a recipe for disaster here. The remaining overcrowded petrol stations that can continue servicing people will become ticking time bombs, especially if nothing is done to make the infrastructure safer. And sanctioning countries that won't let us nationalize their oil industry in the meantime isn't going to help anybody. From the Washington Post, anti-fascists are still fighting fascism in Portland. The Proud Boys and other right-wing groups planned a demonstration they called Summer of Love, because everything has to be edgy with them, that was supposed to commemorate the anniversary of their role in the George Floyd protests. The Proud Boys leader was recently sentenced to a mere five months for stealing and burning a Black Lives Matter banner. Many people were happy to finally see consequences for once, but five months speaks to how seriously hate crimes are not taken in this country. A new report says Unity employers are not thrilled that their work is supporting the military. I remember when I first stumbled upon Unity's game engine and dreamt of making cool games all by myself. To me, this story is a prime example of the motto, there's no ethical production under capitalism. Several years ago, I would have considered working for a video game studio. It seemed like a fun way to combine my passion for music, art, design, and of course, computer programming. But you can never know what a firm's intentions are. Whatever skills I learn, I always want to use them to help people and make a positive difference in the world. If I can't trust firms to be transparent about what they're using my work for, the only way to have any kind of control is to work independently, hence our independent socialist news media and mutual aid worker cooperative. Please share this video. Imagine thinking that you're just helping video games get made, only to discover that your labor is also getting funneled into war. If you play video games, you'd probably come across Unity at some point, seeing its primary product has been used to create everything from cities, skylines, to Fall Guys, to Dream Daddy, a dad dating simulator. <laughs> the company, which was founded in 2005, went public on the New York Stock Exchange last year and is currently valued at $33 billion. Speaking to three former and current Unity employees, all of whom were granted anonymity for fear of reprisal, Vice learned that much of the company's contracting is to do with artificial intelligence programming. Vice tracked down several deals inked with the Department of Defense, including two six-figure contracts for modeling and simulation prototypes with the U.S. Air Force. Much of this is officially conducted under Unity's GovTech department. But since some of the companies work across the departments, that means some employees could work on technology that helps further military initiatives without even knowing they're doing it. Reportedly, at a Unity all-hands meeting earlier this year, the company could only name one GovTech contract that wasn't with the Department of Defense. It should be very clear when people are stepping into the military initiative part of Unity, one of Vice's anonymous sources said, echoing an apparent sentiment from across the company. Whether or not I'm working directly for the government team, I'm empowering the products they're selling. Do you want to use your tools to catch bad guys? Maybe we shouldn't be in the business of defining who bad guys are, one source told Vice, whose report you can read right here. So that's, yeah, Unity Workers question company ethics as it expands from video games to war. This is also a good example of how tech industries and the military are working together to gamify war and get young people who are interested in games and gaming technology into the military and... There's Fortnite sweepstakes that the military does, and it's it's really cringe. But anyway, needless to say, I'm glad I never got a job at Unity, and these are good reasons to be suspicious of tech firms cozying up to the government. Alright, that's our show for today. Thanks for watching. Special thanks as always to our beloved patron, Gladio Xenon. Here's some bonus footage.
We're going to be, unfortunately, watching Tucker Carlson. But he's talking to Dr. Gabor Mate, who is brilliant. So it's pretty good. But as you would expect, Tucker Carlson, it just goes in one ear and out the other. And he absorbs like, fuck all. Compassion for addiction. He says the culprit in the question of opioid addiction isn't the drug companies or Congress, but instead it is the system itself. It's capitalism. Dr. Mate joins us tonight. Uh, doctor, thanks a lot for coming on. So we're doing a series for a week on this question. And I wanted to get at least one night with an alternative voice in here because I want to remain open-minded. And as I understand it, your contention is that drugs and alcohol, even heroin, are not inherently addictive, but they only become a problem because of the, the society in which they're used? All right. So, no. Tucker Carlson got that pretty twisted, like... He got the first part right, like, yeah, drugs and alcohol, even heroin, are not inherently addictive. But it's not because of the society that they're used. Conservatives always pull this straw man, like, like we're saying, under socialism, addiction wouldn't happen. No, Dr. Gabor Mate actually says that these things, no substance or activity is inherently addictive, but if someone lacks connection in their life, lacks a support system, appropriate support system, which is a failing of capitalism, then they will be more susceptible to become addicted to almost anything. We'll let him speak for himself now. No, that's not exactly what I say, uh, but thank you for having me, first of all, and thanks of for course. doing this series. What I'm saying is that uh, all drug use, and particularly opiate drug use, is about people's soothing pain. These are powerful painkillers. And as a palliative care physician, for example, I was very happy to prescribe opiates to people as a way of uh, easing their suffering. Yes. But these drugs don't only soothe physical pain, they also soothe emotional pain. And what I'm saying about addictions of all kinds is that they're rooted, first of all, in emotional pain, and particularly in trauma. And so the question is, what conditions traumatize people? And what conditions traumatize people are family violence, multi-generational trauma history, uh, abusive situations in childhood, but also extraordinary stress on the parents, which leaves the children without emotional support. And as a result of what's happening in our society right now, both in your country, the U.S., and my country, Canada, a lot more people are getting addicted. So heroin use, as you know, in your country, has gone up fivefold in the last 10 years. Yes, and I, I, and I it's think not some of what you're of, saying is, it's, is not, true. It's not, it's, not because, it's not because the drugs are, no, it's not because the drugs are inherently addictive, but because so much more people are in pain. That's my point. I, l l let me ask you this question, however. If you flood a community mm -hmm. with a physically addictive substance... In other words, in theory, people can be in pain in any society, you know? But yes, of course, it's a whole other discussion that if you have a society where the people and the workers control the means of production and leverage the means of production towards the well-being of the people and the workers, then the result is going to be an overall net loss of pain and suffering. And we can do this on the climate change front, as we've discussed earlier, with revolutionary movements all over the world and here in the U.S. Since and opioids, I don't think anyone disputes, are physically addictive, as is alcohol, as you know then you're more likely to have a higher percentage of them become addicted, which is to say, if heroin or its synthetic substitutes are really cheap, why wouldn't you have more heroin addicts? Doesn't that make sense? Well, as an American judge said very astutely that you can no, no more repeal the law of supply-demand than you can repeal the law of gravity. 
The question is why are so many people in so much emotional pain that they gravitate towards those solutions? And not just, uh, not just drugs, by the way, but also alcohol. Uh, this For is sure. killing people as well. Cigarettes, cigarettes are killing people much more lethally, by the way, than the opiates are. So people are addicted to gambling, to shopping, to eating, to sex, there's obesity, there's diabetes. These are all addictive patterns rooted in emotional pain and trauma. And if you want to deal with the question of addiction, we have to ask, what is it that's traumatizing so many people? Now last night in your very excellent series, you talked about, uh, was it the night before, about a county in Kentucky, one of the poorest counties in that state where there's a lot of opiate addiction. Don't you think the poverty and the loss of jobs and the loss of hope and the loss of connection and the destruction of communities has a lot to do with why people well, are Of course I do. Of course I do. And it's, so it's, it's self-evident self that that's true. I guess here's he the almost, point that I would just, he's almost that getting just it. And I think a lot of what you said is true. But not all addictions are the okay. same in their effects. And there's a weird kind of relativism that would argue they are. So smoking is clearly bad for your health, but it doesn't cause you to neglect your children or lose your job or beat your wife, whereas other kinds of addictions do. And so if we no, can't... Don't. No, no, they don't. Well, right, like, what? yeah, it's so bizarre and backwards to say an addiction can cause you to, to beat your wife or, or lash out violently. No, like Gabor Mate's theory makes a lot more sense to me. Like the pain that someone has causes both that and the addiction. Heroin is, is, a, is a threat to your, an imminent threat to your life. It can make you incapable of going to work. Of course it does. <laughs> no, That's the worst part. Vancouver, makes you incapable of going to work. Uh, in international studies in, in Germany, in Switzerland, uh, in the UK and in Canada, we've actually had clinics that prescribe heroin to confirmed addicts, they hold on jobs. They're good with their families, much, and they don't break the law. So that what creates the problem with heroin addiction is mostly the arbitrary laws that say that it's not okay to use heroin, but it's okay to kill yourself with cigarettes. And by the way, alcohol, as you know, causes a lot of violence, much more than heroin does. Well, you're not gonna hear me defending so alcohol. Not, not to mention car crashes. Like, he's got a huge point here. Legal tobacco is, the leading cause of cancer and alcohol is extremely dangerous and can kill you pretty easily. You're not going to hear me defending alcohol so, so, ever, but I, I think that's his, there's a lot wrong, I think, with that comparison, but unfortunately we're out of time, but I appreciate your bringing up the topic because I think it's more complex than a lot of us can see. Doctor, thanks for coming on tonight. My pleasure. Thank you. I'm saying those in power have delusions of grandeur. They are the problem, we're the solutions We stand up and call them out Because we're ruthless and we go hard Don't got no games to play So we protest and vote smart Protest and vote smart We call for revolution since day one Get it understood? And we won't stop until everywhere It's all good And we won't stop until, until, until everywhere It's all good